0: Have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost.
1: Good morning. I'm sorry today my voice sounds very stuffy. Uh, the flu is uh, so bad everywhere. And, and Deacon Henry was sick last week, right? Did I shake hands with you? i just okay. I did not. <laughs> I know I did not. And thank you, Naomi, for your prayer. And praise the Lord that I can still uh, standing here and uh, share the message with you. Well, sometimes when I read the Bible, I, I wonder if you have the same experience. Sometimes I wonder if, if there are typos in some of the verses. And one of those is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 1, and it says, oops, can you go to the next slide with me? Yeah, just next one. Yeah. Okay, and it says, Again, I look and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressor, and they also have no comforter. And when I read it, I was like, what? Okay, I, I, I got the first part, that the writer of the book was bothered by the fact that no one comforts the oppressed. What I don't get is the second part, that no one comforts the oppressor? There must be a typo. He surely does not mean to comfort the oppressors, right? So whenever I wonder if there is a typo, I check other versions of the Bible. I check the NASB, I check the ESV, and I know some of you are wondering and checking right now. And I check even the Chinese version, and I got the same thing. Just as no one comforts the oppressed, there's no comforter for the oppressor. How could that be? Why would the Bible be concerned about comforting the oppressors? In the scripture, the poor, the widow, the outcast, the marginalized all received God's special attention and compassion. But what can be said about the oppressors? Well, the natural assumption is that he or she must be opposed from the prayer of Jesus' mother, Mary, the Magnificat states, He has put down, oops, is it not working? Well, you have to help me throughout the whole sermon then. <laughs> is it plug in? No, it's not working, so. <laughs> okay, next one. Yeah, this is what Jesus' mother, Mary, he, she prays. He, God, has put down the mighty from their thrones and the rich has sent empty away. All who seek to support the oppressed must surely oppose the oppressors. But is it possible to oppose the oppressors and at the same time extend comfort to them? And this brings us to today's passage of Luke where Jesus first healed a blind man, the oppressed, and then extends love to a tax collector, and oppressor. Well, the two stories took place on the edges of the city of Jericho, and it provides an opportunity for us to reflect on Jesus dealing with the oppressed and then the oppressor. The New Testament's chapter divisions, which follow the 4th century Greek paragraph divisions, break the two Jericho stories apart and place them in different chapters. This is unfortunate, and this is, I think, a bit misleading. So today, we are going to view the two stories together as a pair of interrelated passages. Let me try one more time. Ooh, it works. Good. So Luke chapter 18.35, the beginning of this pair of the stories, it says that Jesus was approaching Jericho. Once he finished with the blind man, Jesus did not stop over in Jericho. And instead, in verse one of chapter nineteen, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Originally Jesus did not plan to stay in Jericho because he wanted to go to Jerusalem before Passover. As we know that it is that weekend, this, that Passover weekend that Jesus was crucified so these two stories of Jesus healing a blind man and extending love to Zacchaeus the tax collector all happen in the same day so in the first story the scripture says as Jesus approached Jericho a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging when he heard the crowd going by he asked what was happening in the Middle East village people show honor to an important guest by walking some distance out of the town to greet the guest and escort him to the village. At times, the popularity of a guest can be measured by how far the crowd walks to welcome the visitor. Sometimes, it can go as far as 10 miles. And a more than equivalent might be the inevitable crowd that fills an airport when a famous Korean star arrived. And I don't understand why it has to be Korean. And then the beggar heard the crowd and asked, what was happening? And the guest was identified as Jesus of Nazareth. The beggar then began crying for attention using the rare title, Son of David. The title was used only twice in the synoptic gospel, and this is one of them. The beggar makes his appeal to the son of David, but the crowd rebukes the beggar by telling him to be quiet. Well, This is a polite way to put it. Mark, in his gospel, recorded the same incident, but used much stronger words as, shut your mouth. But in spite of the demands from the crowd to shut up, he cries even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And in sharp contrast to the crowd, that the crowd tried to marginalize the beggar, Jesus stops and commanded the beggar, the blind man, to be brought. You see this? The very people who are insulting the beggar are ordered to escort him to Jesus and the beggar approaches Jesus only to face an exam the question what do you want me to do for you and it seems very cold very heartless the man is a blind beggar isn't it obvious that he needs healing from his devastating darkness well in fact it is not as obvious as we think it is In traditional Middle Eastern society, beggars are a recognized part of the society and they are understood to be offering services to it. Every pious person is expected to give to the poor. So as a result, beggars are being there to provide opportunities for the God-fearing people to fulfill their obligations to God. Also, beggars are found in public places and when they receive money, they would usually stand up and in loud voices praise the giver. So such public praises, they are surely worth the small sum given to the beggar. For a beggar to be effective, some form of visible handicap is necessary. And blindness would virtually guarantee financial success. Also, a blind man they have, they have no edu- blind people have no education. They have no training. No marketable skills. So if healed, self-support would be extremely difficult. So we might wonder, is it not in his interest to remain blind? Is this beggar ready to accept the new responsibilities and challenges that will come to him if he is healed? Now Jesus' question is a very tough challenge to him. And the same question challenges us also today as people saved by Jesus. There are new challenges, there are new responsibilities that come with us being healed, being saved by Jesus. The responsibilities to be his disciples. The responsibilities to witness Jesus as our savior day in and day out. Accepting Jesus as our Savior does not only mean that we want to receive the healing, the salvation, but it also means that we are willing to embrace the new responsibilities and the new challenges. The beggar, nevertheless, passes the exam. He wants to see. Jesus grants his request and says, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you Uh, we have to pay attention here on the crowd's reaction because it is very significant in this story jesus sides with the oppressed the blind beggar and the community is the oppressor for marginalizing the blind man and stopping him from meeting jesus so by extending grace to the very man the crowd has just rejected jesus Gives the crowd a verbal slap. Would they be able to absorb Jesus' public criticism? Yes, indeed, for they join the former blind man in his praises to God. We can observe that when Jesus offers special grace to to the oppressed, it would be praised and celebrated. But when he offers special grace, To the oppressor, it may be a totally different story, as we will soon discover from the second story of this passage that we now turn to. The second story opens by saying Jesus, probably with the crowd, entered Jericho. The text then quickly affirms that Jesus was passing through only. This is an important piece of background information for the story. Because it shows that rather than accepting the assumed hospitality offered by the community, Jesus firmly moves through the town on his way to Jerusalem. By passing through, Jesus is signaling that he is not intending to stay the night in Jericho. And this would definitely bring disappointment to the Jericho community, as it is very a very common traditional practice For the community to offer a banquet and hospitality to any visitor with with prestigious status. No doubt, the community is very disappointed. As Jesus continues his way through Jericho and he is leaving Jericho, the anticipated banquet has to be canceled. When suddenly, out of nowhere, Zacchaeus appears. The scripture identifies Zacchaeus as the town chief tax collector. I sort of explained here a couple months ago in my sermon how bad the reputation is for tax collectors in the Jewish community in Jesus' time. They worked for the Roman authorities for ripping off by ripping off their fellow Jews. Tax collectors were despised in society and they and the families are considered unclean. They are defiled. They are viewed as extortionists and Roman collaborators. So it was bad enough that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, but he also had become wealthy in the process. As a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus probably is responsible for a broader region with subordinates working for him. And then the scripture goes on to inform the readers that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus but but was unable to do so because of the crowd. Zacchaeus' problem was that he was short and that he was hated. If he were respected, the crowd would naturally make way for such a rich and powerful man. But not Zacchaeus. Because he is a collaborator of the Roman oppressors and he is subsequently despised. It is just common sense, right? Traders do not mix in crowds. When in public, traders must be very careful, always be careful of their backs. The problem would be greatly intensified for a trader who was short. What would happen to him if he dare push his way into the crowd? What would happen? Imagine that. A quick flash of a knife and it would be all over. Yet for undisclosed reasons Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. To fulfill this very intense desire he carried out two very unusual acts. He ran and he climbed a tree. Verse 4 here says that Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore sycamorphic tree to see Jesus. Middle Eastern adults do not run in public if they wish to avoid public shame. They don't run. Also, powerful rich men do not climb trees in public anywhere in the world. Or maybe not Canada, I don't know. Zacchaeus knew that too well. So he ran ahead ahead of the crowd, ahead of of everyone, making sure no one sees him and then he tried to hide himself by climbing into a tree now, why is a sycamorphic tree highlighted in this passage let's take a look this is how it looks like, a sycamorphic tree, as you can see from this picture sycamorphic trees have large leaves and low branches, one can climb into them very easily and just as easily hide among the thickly clustered broad leaves there. So both of these features are very important for Zacchaeus. Also such trees were only allowed to grow some distance from town. These trees are not allowed to grow inside the town of Jericho. So it's outside the town. Zacchaeus chose to climb a tree growing outside Jericho, assuming the crowd would have dispersed by the time Jesus reached the tree. So now you get the picture? Zacchaeus breaks with his culture both by running and by climbing a tree. He hopes desperately that neither act will be seen and carefully chooses a tree with high density of leaves some distance from town. At the same time, Jesus is on his way out of Jericho. And therefore, he refused the local hospitality, which naturally would have been pressed upon him. As the crowd moves with him through and out of the town, the locals are certainly very disappointed that he is leaving. The scene at the sycamorphic tree must now be examined in light of this public discontent. In spite of Zacchaeus' hope of remaining unseen, he is spotted by Jesus. And if Jesus can see Zacchaeus, everyone can see him. This is the worst nightmare for oppressors such as Zacchaeus. Being a collaborator of the Roman authorities, a public enemy of the Jewish community, Zacchaeus is now in grave danger. He would not have brought with him his bodyguards because of the shameful acts of running and climbing a tree that he just did. He was confident that his plan was perfect and no one is going to see him. Now the whole crowd sees him and finds a perfect opportunity to fling at him all the insults that they have wanted to use for years. You know, One insult stimulates another one one after another one, quickly darkening the atmosphere and likely emerging to be some form of violence. As the tension builds up, Jesus steps in and he decides to intervene. Now think about this. Naturally, Jesus is expected to support the oppressed as he did with the blind man. And in this scenario, the oppressed Is the crowd. The oppressor is obviously the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. So, in a situation like this, what would the crowd expect Jesus to say? What would you expect Jesus to say? And I ask myself I believe Jesus expected to address Zacchaeus with something like this Zacchaeus, you are a traitor you are an oppressor of these good people you have drained the economic lifeblood of your people and given it to the imperialists you have betrayed your country and your god this community's hatred of you is fully justified you now must quit the job repent journey to jerusalem for ceremonial cleansing and then return to Jericho and apply yourself to keeping the law. If you are willing to do all these things on my next trip to Jericho, I will enter your newly purified house and offer you my congratulations. Right? Wouldn't you expect Jesus to say something like this? I would. I'm sure most Christians in our days would prefer Jesus to say something like this. If Jesus makes such a speech, it would have provoked long and enthusiastic applause from the crowd. Right? But instead, having signaled that he does not intend to spend the night in the town, Jesus changes his mind and invites himself into the house of a traitor of the town. This is both unthinkable and unprecedented. As in any typical Middle Eastern town, the community selects the form of hospitality, not the guests. The leaders of the community naturally chooses a host who can provide a level of hospitality that will bring honor to the community. No guest ever selects his own host, nor does any guest invite himself in public into a house of a despised collaborator. It just won't happen. Now let's take a look at the crowd's reaction. If you go back to the story of the blind beggar, the crowd was at first hostile, but then expressed approval of Jesus' healing grace, right? Again, in this second story, there are two different, well, two levels of crowd reactions. The first is another case of rejection and hostility. Just as the crowd initially marginalized the blind beggar, here the community shuts Zacchaeus out when he wants to see Jesus. But at the dramatic climax of the story, Jesus, he shifts the crowd's hostility against Zacchaeus to himself. In not accepting the crowd's invitation to stay in Jericho and subsequently offering himself to stay at Zacchaeus' house, Jesus essentially took over all the crowd's anger and hostility from Zacchaeus onto himself. Whatever the crowd wanted to insult Zacchaeus, the crowd now, We'll have to do it on Jesus. Zacchaeus is the recipient of a costly demonstration of unexpected love. And this same costly grace has been extended to all of us, right? Amazing grace, how sweet that sound, that saved a wretch like us. Jesus, son of David, the Messiah, has fulfilled the portrait described by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before him. Isaiah, he said, of this coming Messiah, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he, he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed in this pair of stories jesus stands with the oppressed the blind beggar and at the same time extends costly grace to the oppressor Zacchaeus. he neither endorses the oppression nor ostracizes the oppressor. Instead, Jesus loves him. Jesus loves him from the get-go before he does anything to make up for his sins. In fact, before even he shows any intention to make up for his sins. On the other hand, Zacchaeus, he accepts being found, and by doing so, exemplifies the redefinition of repentance, which was set forth by Jesus in the parable of Good Shepherd. But Jesus' repentance is not simply just confession of sin. Rather, it is also the acceptance of being found. The lost sheep in Luke 15 becomes a symbol of repentance, and so does the prodigal. The next scene of the story occurs in Zacchaeus' house, where Jesus has chosen to spend the night. (coughs) The crowd saw this and began to mutter. He, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus' house is defiled. If Jesus enters Zacchaeus' house, sits on his chairs and sleeps in his guest bed, he will emerge the following morning defiled and in need of ceremonial purification, is this the way a Messiah should have behaved on the eve of Passover? On this night, Jesus has crossed the picket line, entered Zacchaeus' house as a guest for the night, and by doing so, taken upon himself the hostility of the entire town, So, inevitably, Zacchaeus senses the pressure to respond to this courageous man known as Jesus of Nazareth. So, the moment has come when Zacchaeus, who has been reclining with Jesus and the other guests, stands to give his formal response. In traditional Middle Eastern style, he exaggerates in order to demonstrate that he is sincere and he pledges to give away 50% of his assets. Then he says he will pay back fourfold anyone he has cheated. Anyone who knows math, mathematically, this promise is impossible to fulfill. Tax collectors such as Zacchaeus, they make all their money by cheating. As a result, he will not have enough money to pay back fourfold anyone he has cheated, let alone after donating 50% of his wealth. But in the Middle Eastern culture, no one expects him to do so. If he were a modern Westerner, he would say, Jesus, I have been cheating my fellow Jews for years and I deeply regret now. The money is spent and I cannot cannot pay it all back. But I will do all I can. I hereby pledge a large gift to the poor. Furthermore, I will review my accounts and choose those I have hurt the most. And within my limited remaining uh, remaining assets, I will pay back as much as I can. And I hope the community will recognize my limitations in this matters. Well, this is what we will say. And this sounds a lot more reasonable to us. But in the first century Middle East, such measured, realistic promise would have been understood to mean, well, he is not going to pay us anything. We need to understand such cultural difference in order to appreciate the response of Zacchaeus. In a good Middle Eastern fashion, Zacchaeus affirms his sincerity by exaggeration. If he does not exaggerate, the crowd would think that he means the opposite. But there's more to it. Not only does Zacchaeus demonstrate his sincerity by exaggeration, but he is also the recipient of costly love. Such love is a powerful life changing force. After receiving such love, Zacchaeus will never be the same. One of the most important aspects of this story is that it presents a rare view of a person who has received costly love from Jesus and it records his response. What does the prodigal son do the morning after the banquet? We don't know. Is the older son willing to join the banquet? We are not told what radical changes can be expected in the lifestyle of the wounded man aided by the Good Samaritan. The text does not say. But here, the reader is given a rare glimpse of the world of a recipient of costly love. And his response is profoundly instructive. Even though when he said literally was a form of exaggeration, it does not hide the fact that Zacchaeus is willing to publicly commit himself to begin showing costly love to the community that he has harmed. No one in the story tells him that, okay, now his life has been touched by the costly love of Jesus. Here is a copy of the Ten Commandments, and that he should check them and reform his life accordingly. No one tells him that. Any obedience to the person of Jesus will necessarily commence with his life as a model. The costly love that Zacchaeus received will be the standard. And the same thing should apply to all of us, right? Because we are all, indeed, recipients of such costly love. But the story concludes by Jesus saying to Zacchaeus, Today, salvation has come to your house. Because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. Today, salvation has come to this house. The verb, has come, is originally a passive form. If salvation has come, someone has brought it. That someone who brought salvation is Jesus, who that very day took salvation to the house of Zacchaeus at Greek cost. When Bonhoeffer, a great Lutheran theologian during the World War II, there is no cheap grace. Only costly grace. Grace is costly for the one who offers it as in Jesus. But also to the one who receives it as in Zacchaeus. The life-changing power that enters Zacchaeus' house was not Jesus' decision to stay overnight. But rather, it was Jesus' deliberate act of shifting the town's hostility away from Zacchaeus onto himself. By his wound, we are healed. Jesus accepts Zacchaeus and enters his house, granting him a new status. This initiates a process of salvation. Zacchaeus will spend the remainder of his life living out that process. Salvation is more than a moment of decision. Indeed, Zacchaeus makes the decision to accept Jesus' bold offer to spend the night in his house, and then Zacchaeus pledges to return what he stole and more. But this is not all. The readers know, we all know, that Zacchaeus' entire life will change. Salvation includes radical transformation and reformation of life as it is lived out day by day in the present. Now so far we have focused on both the blind man, the oppressed, and also the oppressor, Zacchaeus. But in fact, the most relevant characters to us might not be either one of these characters, but the crowd. In the scenario with the blind man, the crowd acted as oppressor. But in the scenario with Zacchaeus, the crowd represented the oppressed. In real life, there's never an absolute clear cut who is the oppressed and who is the oppressor. We find ourselves in both roles in given different situations. We can be the oppressed at work, as we all think we are, and then we, we can turn into oppressors at home as we never think we are. At the end of the day, we all carry the shadow of the blind man and also of Zacchaeus. Whether we wrong someone or we are wronged by someone, costly love of Jesus is all we need. No one needs it less and no one needs it more. So today, Whether you have been oppressed or you have oppressed anyone, may the costly love of Jesus touch your heart, touch your life, comfort you, and change you into His likeness. Let us all pray. Merciful God, from you it comes the costly love of Jesus. For He was pierced for our transgressions, and was crushed for our iniquities. And it is you who chose to love us when we were still sinners against you. So, Father, we pray today that because of the costly love you have bestowed upon us, may we live a transformed life that is characterized by such sacrificial love, a love that will humble us and will drive away our sense of entitlement. May your love compel us to live to love each other, for we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.